in that split second, I thought to myself, what would my players have done in that situation? Boom, boom, boom. And then immediately it mobilized, and I was fine. But through all these years, from my first memories of this place until the second I stepped up to this microphone today, there's one constant that I know has never changed, never has and never will. LSU fans love a winner. LSU, with the leadership that it has and, and the cohesiveness of leadership across the board, and it's in the SEC, ding, 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 right? And oh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Brent. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And this is actually take two of the pod. <laughs> Not sure what happened, but uh, for the first time ever, got done recording with the show, went to go start editing it, and the audio uh, just completely gone. And it was, it sounded like a damn robot, clicks and beeps and nothing other than that. So sorry for the delay, but I uh, had to go back and re-record the entire episode and doing this pretty late. So uh, not sure if I'm going to be able to get this up first thing in the morning, but it will be, if you got a slight delay, that's the reason. Uh, but th- we had a great show. So I'm tired, but I wanted to get this out to you guys. Uh, with the news and notes we had around the SEC, Brian Kelly, introduced by LSU. How could we skip that? Been teasing my all-SEC offense. I came up with that list. Can't uh, let leave you hanging on that one. And, uh, hey, we got some bold talk here from uh, them Georgia Bulldogs heading into this championship game. So a lot of news and notes around the SEC. But before we get to all that, got to start. With a little viral clip, if you missed it, Mike Leach nearly fell down the stairs. (laughs) If we got something funny, we always love to start the show with it. So let's kick it over to Mike Leach, who was at an award ceremony down there in the state of Mississippi. Are you okay after the fall? Well, I thought it was a step, and it's a good thing I have quick reactions. And uh, um, due to lightning, quick reactions and... um, to be perfectly honest, observing my players over and over, uh, I was able to uh, a- avoid catastrophe as I stepped off that stage, and uh, I reacted as I'd seen my players react. I mean, in that split second, I thought to myself, what would my players have done in that situation? Boom, boom, boom. And then immediately it mobilized, and I was fine, okay? And so, I'll tell you what, that just shows. If you spend time with great people, who are doing great things, some of it will rub off on you because that was better than I deserved because a lot of people would have eaten it in that situation, but not me. I was blessed by the people that I get to deal with every day. All right, so how great was that? The only regret is that we don't have Coach Leach video of him actually falling down the stairs. Cameraman, hey, they were having technical difficulties too, but who else in the SEC is going to answer question like that quite like Mike Mike Leach and even better if you're watching on YouTube we'll throw up uh, his tweet here he had the next day after this video went viral but uh, if you're just listening uh, Leach tweeted a little video of a a man falling down the stairs (laughs) so Leach knows how to make fun of himself he did it right here I just thought that was fantastic but hey on to uh, the biggest 
story here in the SEC, at least off the field. LSU has got themselves a coach, Brian Kelly. And the thing you keep hearing, if you've been paying attention to this after uh, Kelly's been hired, them Tigers got themselves the most accomplished football coach they have ever had. Now, that's not saying he's going to be the best. Or, you know, I'm not trying to necessarily say he's a better coach than Nick Saban. That'd be ridiculous. But when they hired Nick Saban, Saban didn't have the accomplishments that Brian Kelly has here. One BCS national championship appearance, two college football championship appearances at Notre Dame. You're getting a guy that in 31 years of college coaching, only two losing seasons. He, he's great at identifying rising assistants and just a steady, steady CEO type that is going to get the job done. And the biggest reason, you know, I think you got to love this if you're an LSU fan. You got yourselves a coach that is running towards the challenge of the SEC. Unlike that other guy, Lincoln Riley, ran to the West Coast. No, no, sir. Brian Kelly jumping in headfirst. And he's 60 years old. So who knows how long he's going to have here in Baton Rouge. He's got a 10-year deal, obviously. Will he make it to the end? That uh, we'll find out. But it's more important, I think, that we got a guy here that uh, if you go, if you count his Division II wins, the winningest head coach in major college football right now, yet what is he missing from his resume is a national championship. And we know the last three LSU coaches, what do they have in common? Of course, they've all won the national championship. So he's at the championship program. He comes with a, a high-performing resume. Now, in the you know, let's say he coaches six, seven, eight more years before he retires. Hell, maybe even 10 years. But what he's going to be chasing is that elusive national championship. He's at a program that's going to have the athletes that is going to have the path to the national championship got to win the west got to win the sec and your ticket is punched every year he knows that and that is something that uh, brian kelly discussed here on wednesday during his introductory press conference but before we get to his comments i just thought uh, scott woodward introduced him and he didn't speak for very long but uh, i thought the the highlight of scott woodward's moment here at the podium was lsu Baton Rouge guy went to LSU. He knows that fan base better than anybody. He knows they demand a winner. Well, you're getting yourselves a winner down there on the bayou. In the decades I've known and loved this university, from the time I grew up in Baton Rouge selling peanuts in Tiger Stadium until the day I returned as athletic director in 2019 and every day since, many things have changed. But through all these years, from my first memories of this place until the second I stepped up to this microphone today, there's one constant that I know has never changed, never has, and never will. LSU fans love a winner. And that's why I know LSU fans will love Brian Kelly. Success follows him everywhere he goes. All he does is win. As President Tate mentioned at Grand Valley State, he won. He forgot to mention that he won also at Central Michigan. He won in Cincinnati. He won in South Bend. He's won 284 games in his collegiate career, more than any coach in the country. 
He's a three-time National Coach of the Year winner, more than any football coach in the country. He's coached two teams to undefeated regular seasons, reached two college football playoffs in the last three seasons, and won 10 games or more each of his last five seasons. You know, frankly put, his resume is unrivaled. All right, so let's kick it over now to Brian Kelly, again, introduced here on Wednesday in Baton Rouge. And, hey, that's what he's kind of echoing here. The goal is to win and win big. They've already come out with here with a promo video, going to win the national championship. That is the, that is the mission here of hiring Brian Kelly's standard of excellence. And that is something that uh, Kelly is hitting the ground running. That's his purpose here by uh, taking over here at LSU. Thank you, Ron. I'm sure you're aware of all the expectations here and the scrutiny. So what's just your plan to get the ground running and get to work and, and really start working on your goals? Yeah, I mean, there's not enough hours in the day right now. Uh, if you can give me a couple more hours, uh, we'd be fine with that. I, you know, I really think it's that, you know, we know the things that need to be done here, um, but we'll be measured, uh, we'll be thoughtful, we'll be intentional uh, and, and you know, checking each one of those off as we go. Um, you know, investment in, in, in people is important and making sure that we are doing that the right way. Uh, lives are involved here as we make transitions, so we want to take care of that. We certainly want to take care of the recruiting and make sure that um, all the young men that, that have made their commitments here, that uh, they know where they stand. So there are important matters that need to get to, and I think everybody understands that, um, you know, we've we've been on a whirlwind here the past 24 hours, but we got to get to work, and and uh, we will do that in uh, short order and and get to the very important matters. Now he was clear. He was asked during this presser, "Does that mean Notre Dame does not have what it takes to win it all?" He wouldn't go that far. I don't think in a setting like this, he's actually going to even say something like that. Particularly after spending 12 years there and selling that university, he's not going to turn around and say, "Well, they got no shot." But at the end of the day, I mean, his actions speak louder than his words. And he left to come to, now, I wouldn't call it a rebuild, but you certainly, if you look at where Notre Dame has been more consistent the last couple of years, I know they don't have the national championships that LSU has, but they're knocking at the door damn near every year with these playoff appearances. But what's the difference? When they meet Clemson, when they meet Alabama in a college football playoff, they're getting their doors blown off because they don't have the players. You're going to have those players at LSU, and that is something that uh, Brian Kelly will get to those comments here in a minute. But why did he want to come to the SEC, particularly the SEC West and LSU, of course? Because they have everything he's looking for in a program. First, much has been made of other coaches not wanting to come to the SEC. Can you talk about why you wanted to come to the SEC and specifically this division? And secondly, if you could potentially maybe pull the, the curtain back a little bit on the process and, and shed some light on, did this come together quickly for you or was this a long process when dealing with LSU to accept this position? Yeah, so look, I mean, the SEC, we know about its, its prowess in terms of success and uh, the players and the teams and the coaches. Um, but I will say this, if, if LSU did not have the alignment and the leadership and the people and 
the, the desire for excellence, the SEC doesn't really matter to me. It's this university that happens to be in the SEC matters to me the most. And so when you get this university, LSU, with the leadership that it has, and, and the cohesiveness of leadership across the board, and it's in the SEC, ding, 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 right? And so for me, you add that, um, it made it uh, an incredible opportunity for me. Your second question was? The, the genesis of your decision to come here, was it, was it quick? Was it a drawn out process? If you could maybe just had some insight. No, on how it wasn't my out. search. So I, you know, really didn't have any say on how that all went. I can tell you this. Um, when you talk to Scott Woodward, um, it, it's, uh, he, he has a clear uh, way of communicating. And um, it was 45 minutes and I had an understanding of where LSU was from um, a commitment and how this was going to look. And so I'd say that's pretty quick. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> uh, that was maybe my favorite response Brian Kelly had here in uh, his introductory, but, you know, spot the live, what he just said. Everything is in place to win it all. And, I mean, this has got to be, uh, the number one reason Brian Kelly is down here and is trying to get done here, get them Tigers back towards the mountaintop, get where Coach O got, Nick Saban's been, and Kirby Smart's trying to make that climb right now. In, uh, in SEC, that's about to be a super conference. You need a, you need a guy like this that, uh, you know, he's got something to prove himself. He may be an outstanding coach, but can he win a big game? We're going to find out here in the years to come. Now, if you know anything about LSU and their roster in the recent seasons, big issue for the Tigers is this offensive line. They have been able to land some, some big-time recruits, but not really develop those guys. And they were bringing back all five offensive linemen until Dare Rosenthal, of course, got booted from the team. But until then, you know, still bringing back four offensive linemen, and that was a huge, huge problem for this team for about half a season now. And Brian Kelly, to be honest with you, he's not inheriting a ton outside of uh, some former touted recruits here on the offensive line. So that is something that if you're not familiar with the, his Notre Dame program, and I wouldn't hold it against you if you weren't, but that is one area that uh, they've been very successful in recent seasons is the on the offensive line, developing guys, identifying, getting them to the NFL. Brian Kelly was asked about that, as well as his familiarity with the LSU roster that he has inherited. So uh, let's kick it over to Coach Kelly on these. Um, you've had a lot of success in developing offensive linemen, which is a position group that LSU has struggled with, especially this year. I'm wondering, what do you look for in those offensive linemen, and how do you go about developing them? And how can you bring that to LSU? Yeah, so... You know, demeanor, right? You're looking at what their demeanor is. Uh, playing that offensive line position requires a, um, you know, a profile that I like to stick with. Um, I'm not going to get into the specifics right now, uh, but there's a demeanor, there's a profile. Um, 
and and there's a brotherhood uh, on that offensive line uh, that we build, um, and that brotherhood is is real. Um, those guys are selfless, um, and uh, they are the backbone uh, of of any great offense that I've ever coached. So, um, if if you if if you have that kind of resume, um, sign up, um, and we're looking for you. That's that's. That's the starting point. Um, when it comes to development, uh, it's hard work, uh, and we're um, we're ready to uh, take on those kind of young men that have those those special qualities and are ready to really dig in and put in the time. Kind of a little follow up to what Glenn asked. Uh, how familiar are you with with this roster presently? Have you had a chance to see them? And as an aside, if I could. Uh, you've had a lot of recruiting wins in Louisiana. So how familiar are you with the, the talent in the state, the coaches, and maybe how would you classify that relationship with a lot of those people in the state? Um, look, I, I, I would be disingenuous to tell you that I know this roster inside and out. I know the players. I know what the makeup is. I know some of the areas of concern that we have to address. That's why I'm standing here, um, and, and we've got some work to do. Um, but we have time. We have time to address those things. We don't have forever, uh, but we, we have to address those things in short order. And so I know that, you know, when we talk about priorities of decision-making, um, you know, holding on and recruiting, you know, the guys that, that have made decisions, we got to go re-recruit them uh, because – this class is important. And then we'll have time to sit down with current members that have been here that have great knowledge of the players, become more educated, and, and, and we'll, we'll make that happen over the next couple of weeks. As it relates to recruiting in the state, uh, the talent is outstanding. That's why I've been in the state before. Uh, but I will say this, there's, there's there's a commitment to academics as well, and that's why I came down here. And the second piece is uh, you got to go fight for them. They're hard to get out of Louisiana, which is a great thing. Um, because, you know, when we're recruiting from another school, uh, you have to work really hard uh, to get somebody to leave the state of Louisiana. So that bodes really well for us moving forward. And uh, so finally here, when it comes to coaching staff, we, we still don't have any resolution on uh, staff members that uh, Brian Kelly would be bringing with him to Baton Rouge. Uh, we've had a number of guys already reject him. We'll get to that in just a moment. But uh, there were reports that Corey Raymond and Kevin Falk would be remain retained by Brian Kelly. That, he said, is not official. He's not had those conversations. So that's not to say those guys won't be staying on staff. But it's just not official yet at this time. Now, I think what he was waiting for, Marcus Freeman, the defensive coordinator, could he get him to, to come to Baton Rouge two years in a row? The uh, Tigers have been trying to get Marcus Freeman down to Baton Rouge. It ain't going to be happening because Marcus Freeman is going to be named the next head coach at Notre Dame. So you certainly can't hold that against him. Taking a big promotion, going to be running the Fighting Irish. That makes sense. But here, this one I thought was a little bit more stunning. Offensive coordinator Tommy Riz staying at Notre Dame. And apparently he had an offer to come down to LSU and be the offensive coordinator under Brian Kelly, and he's staying. 
the offensive line coach is also staying, the strength coach staying, and these are all guys that are offers to come down to LSU. So uh, the Notre Dame people are, are sticking it out. At least that's what they're saying now. Now, will they change their tune after the season? We'll have to wait and see. But, you know, it is worth noting the, the Irish are, again, they're fighting their way towards a, a, a college football playoff appearance potentially. And maybe these coaches want to stick it out for those players and, and maybe try to get themselves a national championship. And when the season comes to an end, maybe they're singing a different tune. But for now, Marcus Freeman, you know, certainly I don't expect he'll leave now that he's head coach. But uh, Tommy Rias and the offensive line coach and the strength coach have all made the decision to stay at Notre Dame. All right, as promised, I'm going to run down my um, all-SEC offense. And I only did first team. This is the best of the best in the SEC making the cut on my team. No honorable mention, none of that garbage either. You're the best or you're not. And I'm not doing a cousin Shane here. I'm not going to name five or six different guys at every position. Um, it's You're either the best or you ain't. You're either first or you're last, as old Ricky Bobby would say. That's where we're going to start right there. These are the This is the team I'm rolling with here in the SEC, if you give me the option to handpick my offense. And it starts with the quarterback position, of course. I'm going Matt Corral, Ole Miss, should be a Heisman finalist. I know Bryce Young, K.J. Jefferson, Hendon Hooker, Will Rogers. I mean, they've had some outstanding seasons, and this is no slight to them. But... I give Matt Corral the edge for a number of reasons. His leadership is outstanding. Immediately after the Egg Bowl, asked, you know, you going to play in the bowl game? Turn, no hesitation. I'm healthy. I'm playing. This is a guy that I want leading my team. And an NFL franchise that gets him is going to be damn glad they did. This is a guy that can uh, make just about every throw, all kinds of different arm angles. And another thing that I love about him, you know, he can beat you at the ground, too. Over 200 rushing yards against Tennessee. That's something that he used time and time again all season, his ability to run, and he plays injured. I mean, I thought he was done for the year there against Auburn. He came back out. He's tough as hell. He's not going to let his team down at any point. And for all those reasons, you know, he's had guys out left and right all in the lineup on the offensive line at the receiver position, banged up. Jaron Ely's been banged up, yet they won 10 football games. I mean, a school record in the regular season, Matt Corral, he's got to be QB1 for me. Now, the running back, again, this is probably the easiest slam dunk, I think, on the list here. Tyler Beatty, Missouri running back. How can you have anybody other than him as your first team running back in the SEC? Led the SEC in rushing with 1,604 yards. Tied the lead with 14 rushing touchdowns, and he had five games of over 200 yards on the ground. Tyler Beatty has been a beast this year. And Eli Drinkwitz said it best. What's his value to the team? This was after they had won five games. He said he's worth five games. That's what uh, Tyler Beatty's worth is to this team. Because, you know, I'm not comparing him to Derrick Henry because that's crazy. Derrick Henry was a unicorn of a running back. We may never see another one quite like him. But I can't recall a time when, as the season went on, just getting more and more carries, putting the team on his back since that time than I have with Tyler Beatty. And I think if Tyler Beatty was on a uh, a team that maybe won a couple more games or 
a hot, little bit of higher profile, I think he'd be a Heisman finalist and potentially the Heisman winner. He's been that good for the Missouri Tigers, putting the team on his back all season long, and he just got stronger and stronger. He is one hell of a player. Now, I, I'm going with one more running back on the first team because that's the way they do it. They, they pick two running backs. But this was a little bit tougher, but I'm going with Isaiah Spiller, Texas A&M over Brian Robinson. This was, a, this was a tight race, but Spiller's got the edge in a couple of things. Average 5.6 yards per carry, where Robinson had 4.9. Spiller had 600-yard rushing games. Robinson had four. And, you know, no doubt, the better quarterback, Alabama, Bryce Young, better receivers, Alabama, with Mitchie, Williams, and maybe even the better offensive line, although that's questionable at this point. But, you know, I think Isaiah Spiller, all the production he's had last season, you could have easily said, well, you know, he had maybe the best offensive line or the second best offensive line in the country. Four of those guys went on to the NFL. Now, can he do it with a rebuilt offensive line? Yes, sir. Yes, he can. He got even better this year, Isaiah Spiller did. He was a, such a dynamic running back for Texas A&M. And I know the season has been a disappointment, but I don't put that on Spiller because I got him as one of the two best running backs in the entire SEC. Put him on the first team. Now, when it comes to receiver, easy decision here. Traylon Burks, Arkansas Razorbacks. I mean, the guy's just a beast. Is there anything he can't do? We're getting halfway through the, the season. Sam Pittman's pleading. We got to get this guy more involved. Anything and everything we can do to get him touches. He is such a weapon for the Arkansas Razorbacks. He can rush the ball. He can throw the ball. And, of course, uh, you know, he high points it. He's tough as hell. He's got massive hands. He's basically unguardable. And he basically was the offense there to the tail end of the season when they needed him the most. He's getting banged up. He's still giving it his all. No quit in Traylon Burks. He's, it didn't matter what ailment he had. He still was out there grinding. And I hope that uh, if he goes on to the NFL like uh, we all anticipate he is, I mean, I think he's going to be a top 10 pick. He's that caliber of a football player. And if you ask me right now, one receiver in the SEC that you want, one receiver that you want in the country, it's Traylon Burks for me. Slam dunk right there. Now, another receiver I got to put on the list, new to the SEC this year, Jamison Williams, Alabama. Led the SEC in receiving touchdowns with 13. Led the SEC in receiving yards with uh, 1,261. And, hell, just go back to the Iron Bowl. What happened with Jamison Williams not in the lineup? Auburn, excuse me, Alabama's uh, offense just wasn't the same against Auburn. And I know Mechie stepped up, but just wasn't that explosive option. I mean, this is a guy that you have to be aware of where he is on the field at all times because he'll hit you. If you, you sleep for one play, bam, 70 yards, gone, 80 yards, 90 yards. We've seen it all from Jamison Williams. He has been a rock for Alabama this season and arguably the biggest uh, transfer pickup outside of the quarterback position in the country, Jamison Williams down there at Alabama. He is one hell of a player. Now, another newcomer, I'm doing three receivers because that, that's how they do it too. So, Wandell Robinson, Kentucky Wildcats, set the all-time Kentucky record with 94 catches this season for them Wildcats and their new offense. And, you know, I know uh, Will Levis, Liam Cohen, you know, they deserve credit for the re revolutionized offense there. 
I mean, it's a night and day different what they got rocking in Lexington. But the biggest piece of the puzzle, Wandale Robinson. The thing just would not operate without him. He could play inside. He could play outside. He could play running back. He is all over the field. He, he's rushing it. He's catching it. Hell, he, he could probably throw it if you asked him to, if uh, something happened to Will, Will Levis. So, yeah, Wandale Robinson is one of the toughest receivers here in the SEC, a game-breaker that does it all. Imagine having Traylon Burks, Jamison Williams, and Wandell Robinson. That may be the best trio of receivers in the entire country, and I got them on my first-team SEC ballot. Now, tight end, a lot of people uh, you know, may hesitate to have such a young player on the list. Not me, man. True freshman Brock Bowers. He's got to be your first-team all-SEC tight end. Ten receiving touchdowns, third best in the SEC. And just such an explosive, dynamic player. When Georgia needed weapons to step up with all these receivers getting banged up, it was Brock Bowers that stepped, stepped up and answered the challenge. And he's been consistent all season long. He is such a weapon. Credit uh, Todd Munkin for finding different ways to get him the ball. But uh, he's all over the field, and he's just a, a nightmare matchup. And if Georgia goes on to win the, the national championship, Brock Bowers is going to be one of the biggest reasons of why that happens because the guy's just damn near unguardable. He's too big to put uh, a defensive back on. He's too fast to put a linebacker on him. Uh, he is just incredible, incredible athlete, and I got no problem putting a true freshman on this list. Now, when it comes to offensive line, it's tough for me to evaluate. Hell, I, I don't sit here and study offensive line tape or anything like that, but uh, you know, I put a decent amount of research into this, and I like this five that I'm going with here. Charles Cross, left tackle, Mississippi State, who I know he's Comes with a big billing with uh, the NFL draft. That is not at all why I picked him on here. But I picked him because, you know, talk to offensive linemen. They, to a man, they'd all rather run block than pass block. Pass blocking is a lot more difficult. It's a lot more finesse, not as much tough physical. And just pounding the man in front of you, uh, you got to see who's coming off the edge. So many factors there when you get into pass blocking. And that's all compounded when you're the left tackle on an island. And, of course, Mississippi State throws it more than anybody in the country, at least it, or anybody in the SEC. And I, I would stand to reason anybody in the country. So you got to imagine that Charles Cross on an island probably double as much as anybody in the country. Uh, and, and he's answered the bell time and time again. He's a huge reason why that Mississippi State offense took a big step up this season give me him Charles Cross at left tackle and we'll be good there now on the interior I'm going Kenyon Green Texas A&M started every game this year for the Aggies played four different positions and that's one of my favorite things about uh, offensive linemen when they're versatile because particularly when you got four new starters up there surrounding him you know he had to help those guys along get adjusted to the speed of the game and it took a while, but, you know, if he could plug in a tackle or guard on both sides of the line of scrimmage, that had to have been of tremendous help for the Aggies this season that really got, they started to heat up towards uh, the middle part of the season. And Kenyon Green was a huge part of that. Three-time SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week. I don't know if there's a better interior offensive lineman in the country than Kenyon Green. Now, another versatile lineman that uh, I'm going to give him some love here, Cade Mays, Tennessee. Didn't allow a sack the first nine games of the season. That was a 418-snap 
streak without allowing a sack. And he was twice named SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week. And one thing that, uh, you know, kind of got lost in the transition from uh, the Jim Chaney, Jeremy Pruitt offense to Josh Heupel is the fact that uh, these offensive linemen, none of them were suited for it. They were, they were big guys, physical guys, road graders. Now they have to go to tempo, more balanced attack, and Cade Mays handled it seamlessly. So he, I don't think, gets enough credit nationally for the job he did transitioning this offense and just being a star for the Vols. I know he's banged up. I hope he gets to play in the bowl game and finish his career strong. But uh, he's off to the NFL. And before he does, I'm stamping him as a uh, first-team All-SEC selection. All right, what other uh, interior lineman here? Caleb Warren for Ole Miss. Led the way for the SEC's number one rushing attack. He was twice named SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week, including after the Texas A&M game where the Rebels rushed for 257 yards on that front seven. Good God. So Caleb Warren, one of the uh, best offenses here in the SEC, the best lineman for the Rebels in Oxford. He has emerged as a star player in the SEC. Caleb Warren, give me one of the best linemen on this list. And then last but not least, Darren Kennard, right tackle for Kentucky, two-time SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week. And uh, his latest award came after the Louisville game where Kentucky rushed for seven touchdowns, a Governor's Cup record. They also season high 362 yards on the ground against Louisville. And, you know, one of my favorite things about Kennard, who was All-American heading into the season, he came back for his senior year. But a big reason was to play left tackle, to show NFL scouts that that's something he could do. And that kind of all got put to the side when LSU added uh, Dare Rosenthal this offseason. And instead of bitching and moaning and causing a scene, Dare Kennard just kicked right back over to right tackle because he knew team player, we've got to put our best five on the field, give us one of the best offensive lines in the country. And that's not going to happen if I'm – you know, trying to force people to to play me at left tackle when that's Dare Rosenthal's position. So credit to Kennard all the way around, team player and one of the best players in the SEC, one of the best players in the country. All right, last but not least here, let's uh, let's kick it down to a little preview here of the SEC championship game. I wanted to go a little bit longer, but uh, with all the te- technical difficulties we're having here. I'm going to make this one short, but uh, we had Trayvon Walker, Quay Walker, scoured the internet for uh, player quotes. We're going to have Kirby, Nick Saban, and Greg Sankey speaking on Thursday. So we'll have some good stuff for the Friday show. But uh, in the meantime, we got player quotes, and I thought it was interesting. Uh, Both these uh, Bulldog defenders asked about Alabama. Any extra motivation? Certainly seemed like they're kind of biting their tongue a little bit on this one. Trayvon, is it? Is it really just another game? Is that or how how bad do you want to beat them? Nah, I can't say. I really do want to beat them bad. I really want to beat them, but it, I uh, it is just another game. But it's SEC, for the SEC, so it means a lot more to win this game. But it's, at the end of the day, it's still football. Does it mean anything that it's Alabama to you at all? I mean, you guys, the program has just struggled against them recently. Uh, it does since. Cause we lost to them last year. And then we also, if I can't recall, I want to say we played on my freshman year also, <clears throat> but it would mean a lot just to uh, get a win. 
Well, I know you guys try to treat all games like they're the same, but this one's actually for a championship, and it's against Alabama. Is it the same? I mean, is there any more juice? Is there any more focus? I mean, does anything at all change for a game like this? Uh, I think pretty much, you know, your focus have to, you know, adapt a little bit. But I think that's always been our motive this whole year. Um, no matter what game it is, we treat all of them the same. We don't need nobody to try to do anything different than what they've already done this whole year. Um, but other than that, uh, we just got to go out and execute and everything else to take care of itself. So, you know. And one more Georgia quote that uh, this was the best quote of the week so far, I thought, uh, from a redshirt freshman receiver, Lad McConkie. He says, and Bulldogs are head down to Atlanta to make a statement. And, hey, both these teams, they're getting coached so well. Don't say anything. Don't post anything. Let's not give him any more motivation. And I'm not saying that he is here, but uh, this is about as bold as you're going to hear this week leading up to the SEC championship game. Just when it comes to um, the stage that you're on Saturday, uh, would, would you the, – the setup is that, you know, Georgia's number one. They could even lose this game and still make it to the playoff. I'm pretty sure that's not the way you guys look at it, though. But would you, would you characterize this team as being um, loose or, or – uh, I don't know. How would you de describe uh, I mean, the, the, the team? Definitely not. We're not loose. I mean, we're, we're approaching this week like – any other week, I mean, we we have we're trying to make a statement. So I mean, just going out there and competing, our, you know, like competing to the best of our ability, and just kind of really let letting it all letting it all out. So I mean, we're not approaching this game with the mindset that all oh, if we lose, we can still get in the playoffs. We're trying to try to make a statement and keep this thing going. All right, so I just love uh, any kind of comments to get us going here, heading into uh, what should be one hell of an FCC championship between Alabama and Georgia. And uh, let's kick it over to Evan Neal real quick. So he had some comments to Alabama's outstanding left tackle on Bryce Young and the amazing poise from the first-year starting quarterback there in Tuscaloosa. And I'll be in the underdog. It's the first time since, uh, I believe, 2015 that Alabama has been an underdog in a football game. Not, no player on this roster knows what that's like. Yeah, Evan, uh, there were several times that John Mechie said after the game that, that Bryce Young is the GOAT. Uh, what, in your opinion, makes him the GOAT? He's just poised, man. He's just poised. He, it's almost eerie. You know, he, he's just really unfazed, unshaken. You know, he's a talented football player. You know, you guys see that every Saturday. And also the way he prepares and the way he pr approaches the game. You know, him being so young, man, that's, that's really special, you know. So often in games, you guys are uh, playing an underdog, but now you're facing the number one team. What's it like to be on the other side of that? Um, well, you know, it's, it's not often that Alabama's on the other side of that, but hey, we just got to control what we can control. You know, we're approaching this game like any other game. We're approaching this game with intentions to win. You know, obviously, Georgia's a great team. You know, probably one of the best defense that we saw all year. You know, so. We just got to prepare, man. Just prepare, prepare, prepare all week. You know, take it one day at a time, you know, so that every Saturday we can go out there and execute. Mike. All right, so, you know, at the end of the day, no one on Alabama's roster is going to be intimidated by Georgia. I don't think anybody on Georgia's roster is going to be intimidated by Alabama. We got the number one team in the country. We got the team I think is number two in the country meeting on a neutral field for the right to advance to the college football playoff. And, hell, there's a chance both these teams are in the college football playoff here come Sunday. But 
really, this is the national championship game, and maybe we'll get two editions of it, but we this may be the only one if Georgia can keep the undefeated streak alive and finally get over that Alabama hurdle. Cannot wait for this game. This is going to be one hell of a matchup here. And, uh, man, I'm just getting fired up thinking about it. All right, so that's going to cut it on this one. Like I said, I had to record this one twice, so I'm just hoping and praying this one worked. <laughs> I got no way of checking until I'm done hitting the record button here. So uh, fingers crossed that uh, this works works out. But, uh, again, sorry for a little bit of a delay. I didn't want to be up all night, so I uh, woke up early to, to get this thing up to you guys but uh, that is going to do it for the latest episode of the show i appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out cousin shane will be back on friday's show where we're making our picks for the sec championship game uh, again kirby and nick saban will be speaking greg sankey we'll see what comes of that and i teased it earlier in the week but shane and i we're going to preview the, the 13 teams headed to a bowl game which game which teams do we want to see them face from around college football so uh should be a fun show to cap off the week heading into the sec championship game i do appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out we'll catch you on the next one